Hi everyone and welcome to uh, the Early Years Conversations podcast with me, Kerry Payne um, and Kate Moxley. Uh, today we are going to be speaking about some tricky subjects just because it's been a really relevant point at the minute. Um, so today's podcast we really wanted to just spend a little bit of time um, talking about the concepts of insecurity um, within both our professional lives and you know our personal lives, um, the dreaded imposter syndrome, but actually really flipping it on, his, on its head and talking about why imposter syndrome is actually not a bad thing. Um, and then we've recently discovered, which we've just had a 40 minute chat about, is a concept um, it's called unwilding, but that doesn't make sense to me, Kate. It wouldn't it be wilding? Like, yeah, you're wanting to kind of reignite the wild side of your personality and, and being free to talk out and about things that are important to you. So that's kind of been a real big theme for me and Kate um, and those that we're interacting with in the sector at the moment. And so we just wanted to have a chat today about that. Um, but as always, um, let's start with uh, how are you feeling, Kate? How are things? Hi, Kerry. So quite good actually um, i'm feeling quite positive today feeling quite happy um i'm feeling in a good place which um which feels nice because quite honestly i've had i feel like i've had a hell of a time of it and, <laughs> and i'm sure for those people that um you know i i connect with and talk with on social media they'll be able to say that there's been periods of times where i've just been completely missing um i've i've had like you know some tough times and and whatever like everyone i think throughout this whole kind of crazy lockdown time and i look back over this whole experience and i just feel like it's it's um it's almost a bit like a dream isn't it from where we started to everything being cancelled and disappearing everything closing to kind of where we find ourselves now a little bit getting back to normal and a little bit of new normal all wrapped up in I, I don't know, a strange time. So um, I, it feels good to say I'm feeling, um, feeling, you know, feeling happy um, and excited to chat today. I'm feeling motivated, I suppose. So how about you? Same question back at you. I feel very similar, yeah. I woke up this morning, <coughs> sorry. I woke up this morning and I felt really, um, I just have, do you ever have those moments when you are on one of those motivated days where you get like little bursts of like, ah, oh, everything's okay in the world. And they often don't last for very long because then somebody asks you to do something or you watch the news or whatever. But yeah, I had a moment this morning where I was doing yoga um, and I never thought I would be that person like Zen and kind of doing me mindful breathing. But I had a moment this morning where I was like, there are good things, there are positive things. Um, and I think often those bursts of happiness are a result of those moments where you may have gone, a peer, gone through a period of unhappiness or not feeling settled. And I think that that's obviously why we were like, let's talk about insecurity because um, I think, you know, I think you'd be okay with me saying we are insecure individuals. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, um, and I suppose in some ways, you know, social media isn't always the healthiest place to be, is it? Um, you know, depending on how you feel, um, you know, we talked before about collecting negative evidence. 
I'm really good at collecting negative evidence about things, mostly about myself. And so I think, you know, when you do engage in social media or you do see something that kind of triggers something within you, I think it depends on how you're feeling. So like for me today, I'm feeling quite, you know, obviously I've already said I'm feeling, you know, positive or whatever. And so how I would react to something I would see today would be very different to how I would have seen something a couple of weeks ago. So I said to my husband the other day, um, and I know I've droned on a lot about the fact it was my 40th birthday and it was in lockdown. But the point was, it really wasn't where I expected I would be. I think that's been hard. You think, and for lots of people, I suppose we expect where this year was going to go for us. And when it, and it hasn't, it's gone in a completely different direction. And, and it, it isn't what you imagined. I've started to, I found myself feeling actually, and I'm not a jealous person, um, I'm feeling irritated with people who've got to celebrate their birthdays properly because we're coming out of lockdown and that's so not me. And then I come back to myself and check in with what's going on. But yeah, that's a little sad day for me when I, when I, when I realised that and noticed that. Yeah, that must have, um, yeah, I can imagine that's really been really difficult. And I think because 40 is, is such a, or it's made out to be such a big one. Um, so and I think when you get to, because obviously I'm, I turn 35 in lockdown um, and I always find it weird. And, and I know obviously young people have this for us, you know, golden oldies now. But when I was 20, the thought of 35 and the, the thought of 40 was actually quite horrifying. But when you actually are in it, I think you're like, this is way better. Like you feel a bit more... I don't know. I definitely feel more enlightened as I get older, but something, and, and I'll share via the podcast, but I contacted Kate this week and the, the reason the insecurity conversation came around is I think I am going through that period at the moment of I've hit 35. I am crumbling under the pressures of society. You know, as a woman, I do get, you know, I do get worried about the things that women around that age get worried about looks age and um, being relevant and I rang Kate and I was like I feel really threatened by people who are younger or who are doing more or at the beginning of their careers and it really kind of spiraled me this week into a really deep insecurity of am I relevant do I count as as you know looks and wrinkles begin to kind of emerge am I losing my little space in the world um, and I think I think insecurity is such a beast of burden isn't it because it can really it, you can really feel like you're carrying that inferiority is it or that kind of just not being enough and I think we work in a sector and I think insecurity is a is a very common experience within our sector because it's not a valued sector the you know and, and I do talk about because we're a female dominated sector and um, I think women in particular are not valued and um, you know we are we are subject to very kind of derogatory terms we almost are assumed to not really be able to go very far in terms of our progress because we just work with children um, and and I think as a practitioner I, I, I also felt that but as I get older those kind of waves of insecurity are sometimes quite um, quite scary I think Oh yeah, absolutely. They are. I mean, I'm excited for the next podcast takeover with Liz, um, with Verinda and Tanzimar, because actually we talk about a sisterhood, a sisterhood within the sector. And that is perhaps only recent terminology that I'm perhaps understanding. I know that I've spoken before when we've discussed 
perhaps you know toxic cultures within the workplace around and things that impact on our mental health and our and our overall well-being about how um oh the words have just gone out of my head um um, I've, we've spoken before about um, those kind of toxic workplace cultures and how we tap into without realising and conform to gender stereotypes and we make judgments of each other all of the time, especially as, as women we do it. And mm. I think that's really fascinating because, you know, we are a sector do dominated with women. Um, and actually, you know, when we're working alongside people who are going to have their own insecurities and their own vulnerabilities, we don't often show what they are because we don't often even know what they are ourselves, do we? Yeah. Um, and, you know, those, uh, I suppose, insecurities and vulnerabilities are hidden from that mask that we wear and present um, when we go out in any professional capacity or personal social capacity, we want to put our be best version out into the world. But sometimes that best version is hiding all of those things that actually make us um, maybe who we are, make us more likable. If that, I don't know if that makes any sense. It 100%, like 100% makes sense. And I love what you said there about sometimes delivering the best version of ourselves actually means hiding the very bits that we need people to see. Um, and I had a really interesting conversation with um, Jamel um, Carly Campbell this week because I was basically anyone that would listen this week, I was like, I'm insecure, help me. Um, and Jamel was like, sometimes the things that we think we need to hide are actually the things that are our niche. So being able to show our, our insecurities or our vulnerabilities or the things that we feel, the things that we feel that maybe have, have held us back. And I know we had a conversation before we hit record about you saying you always kind of, you know, defined yourself as I'm not academic or I'm not, you know, I don't have that. People always talk about the way their brains function. And I think sometimes we ourselves put those kind of prison bars around ourselves because we we kind of fall into conformity of what other people might have defined or how other people may have defined us for our lifetimes which i don't know if you want to tell that story again because it was really interesting the way that you kind of described that yeah i was just saying you know throughout our life we we conform to roles that have been created for us so you know the earliest example of that is obviously within our within our um, immediate family within our circle and then I suppose when we go on to school and as we grow older um, in friendship groups in social circles um, but I suppose throughout my whole life I always said I wasn't very academic I've got an older sister and a younger brother and I'd kind of you know make and, and I suppose you know I've always you know had a sense of humor whereby I um you know, pick apart myself in derogatory terms. And I know that's a, the British sense of humour, isn't it? We, we, we talk about ourselves in not kind ways, but to get, um, to make other people feel comfortable or to create a laugh or whatever it is we do that for. And yeah, so mine was that I wasn't very, very academic and spent my whole life kind of pigeonholing myself in that way that I wasn't very bright or whatever. Um, and then when I went to uni in my like early 30s, and started my foundation degree and started getting, um, you know, A's and and then, you know, getting a, a 2-1 or whatever I got, I can't remember now, and doing my BA, 
I, I couldn't quite believe it. I was like, oh, I've got a brain. And actually, I, one of my biggest quotes that I always got me through that time was um, everything from Nelson Mandela, which is everything always seems um, impossible until it's done. And I think never more has that been more relevant. Everything seems impossible um, until it's done. And so, you know, you look back then on the roles or that this role that has been created for you as a person. And sometimes you base your character and your, your whole individual characteristics around something that actually isn't genuine or authentic or true. I, and do you know what? I'm exactly the same. So when I was growing up, I was in a, a family of four and I was considered the timid, weak, um, often almost like often kind of, you know, my family would say like I wasn't a real Murphy because I didn't have grit or resilience. I'm very kind of, um, I'm sensitive. I'm a sensitive soul. Um, and throughout my entire, I would say like my teen years and my twenties, I conform to, um, I've not got resilience or grit, so I can't throw myself at anything. Um, and I'm not particularly intelligent. So I was often kind of, you know, I don't have common sense. So I was often referred to as stupid or thick. I didn't understand um, politics. So my, my friendship group who were very intelligent, they were like, oh, Kerry's the thick one in the group. And so throughout my probably twenties, I was like, oh yeah, I'm just thick. So, I then, similar to you, went back to uni in my 30s because I had this moment and I remember it distinctly, sat in a cafe with my um, husband and just being like, that is it, I am going to do something with myself. And I rang up a university and was like, can I, can I apply for this degree? And they were like, yeah, this is what you need to do. And it literally within four to six weeks, I'd signed up, started the, the degree in psychology, similar to you, I got a distinction, did really, really well. And had that moment at what, 34, and was like, I am actually quite intelligent. When I put my mind to it, I'm actually quite an intelligent human. But for so long, like, and, and actually that fear of being thick or not being smart enough, sadly started in, in the education system. So, you know, and, and you hear teachers don't need to go, oh, you'll only be stacking shelves. Like I was subject to that, I was in the bottom set, failed my first year at uni. Um, you know, continually was failing things. And it was because no, I, I don't feel like anybody ever really believed that I was. And, and sometimes you do need a bit of that. And I think when you get to that point where you're like, actually, I am intelligent, you can start to, to smash through those kind of imaginary walls that have stopped you from doing things. Um, but it, it, I think what it does in your later adulthood is you're then, you're then in this situation where you're having to really build that grit later later on in life and that resilience. And I think that's what can often ignite, you know, that the, the thing that everybody talks about now is this kind of concept of, of imposter syndrome. Um, is that something that you've ever experienced? Imposter syndrome? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think surely at some point in their lives, everyone has elements of of experiencing it whether it's fleeting or whether it's something that's more deep-rooted but but absolutely um imposter syndrome and i think you know we talked about social media as well in, you know I, I think social media you know we we live our lives across social media i mean professionally both of us spend a lot of time across social media and i know we've kind of hit upon this before but you know, it can be a very competitive world out there being a, a consultant, a trainer, a speaker, whatever it is that you, you know, you kind of do. 
Um, and, you know, I suppose I find myself in doing this job just because I, I wanted some more work-life balance, which makes me laugh now when I look back on it. Um, you know, when does somebody ever become good enough, I'm doing quote marks there, to become a consultant or a trainer or a speaker? And I just say to people, you know, someone said to me at the very start of me doing this, you, you know, you've got something to say and people need to hear what you've got to say. And I thought, oh, no one's ever really said anything like that to me before. No one's really kind of ever, ever, um, you know, believed in me in that way before. But I don't think I'd ever believed in myself before either. And I think that's the big thing, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And, and I think, you know, we have had several conversations around the, the competitive element that exists in an advisory or a consultancy role. But that actually also, I think, existed entirely um, when I was a practitioner as well. Like there was a very much of who's, who's like the best with the children or who's um, does the best displays or who's got the best learning journeys. And, and I think that competition, I think that competition was actually really difficult when um, social media wasn't around. Yeah. And what I've noticed in a lot of the conversations I have with practitioners now via social media when I'm out in settings is that we now live in a, a culture, it's going to sound quite um, crass, but we live in a show-off culture in, in the education world. So we see all these feeds of these, these beautiful activities and these aesthetics. I know we've had like an in-depth conversation already today about, you know, we, we're, one of our biggest fears for the early years sector is that we are really driving towards and um, people being more, focused on showing the design or the, or the design of an environment or an activity than actually talking about their experiences with children and I don't necessarily judge those practitioners because I think it is rooted in that competitiveness we, we exist in a sector that isn't valued and so our only way of showing our value is often by going look at this brilliant activity I've done or this brilliant display or look at these fairy lights because it's kind of like notice notice that I am here and I'm showing up and I'm doing something but I think sometimes the best the best interactions with the practitioner um, are those that are rooted in discussions around how they've impacted on their children or, or an activity they've carried out or how it, you know, went wrong even. You know, I set this beautiful activity up and it went absolutely tits up and the children were absolutely covered head to toe in paint. Um, and I think those are the bits where you go, oh, that's the kind of um, the organic part of our, our sector. I don't know if I've gone off on a tangent there. No, I think we, what we, um, as we've kind of touched upon it before. I think there's space in not, not getting everything right. I think there's great power that comes from, because what it creates is that space, space to just breathe and that it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to not have every single thing worked out. And sometimes that, pre that the pressure in the sector does kind of create that culture. And actually, you know, I think you know obviously we've talked before about how much i listen to brene brown and her podcast but she talks a lot about armoring up and i think that's something we've learned to do as a self-defense mechanism in early years we armor up we put on all this armor so we can let things bounce off us in some ways you know we're not clever enough we're not good enough it's never quite enough but what we what we need to get better at doing is what i'm doing right now is enough i'm trying my best is good enough it doesn't you know because we never just reach that ultimate place do we so um so yeah that was my thoughts on what you just said and i think just picking back up on something you previously said we've also mentioned before about you know if you have 
experience maybe mental health issues or have a diagnosis of a mental issue and mental health illness, then you are going to have to, at some point, have done a certain amount of, of, of kind of self-reflection, intervention in terms of self-care, how you take care of yourself, how you think about yourself as well, because um, because you will have had to have need to, needed to do that. And I think that's a really important um, skill. So I think there's, there's you know, in, in show, having those moments of, of vulnerability actually become part of your greatest strength almost. Yeah, I think, um, and, and obviously, I th- something that's coming to my mind there is I, so I've shared before via the podcast and whoever listens to anything I say, really, I always talk about my experience of therapy and something that I was talking to my therapist about yesterday was you know, we are so kind of, we, we exist in a culture at the moment that is so obsessed with growth and um, self-optimization. We must be our best selves at all times. We must present the best version of ourselves. And we have to prove, there's this thing where we have to prove that we have gone from point A, our previous self, to point B, C, D, and E. And each time we are, we've got an upwards trajectory. And what my therapist was saying yesterday was that what happens with that is we begin to detest and despise our previous selves. We don't value the selves that have allowed us to grow. So he was like, one of the biggest things that is, is being profound for him in, in lockdown, like some of his reflections has been that we have to learn to love our previous selves and acknowledge that there's been growth, but even those previous selves that we're not in good places and that, and that experience challenges and failures. Um, because I think often that is, you often see people really struggling with their mental health because they don't feel that they've grown enough or that they've developed well enough. Um, and I really, that really kind of got into the, the depths of my brain yesterday that you've got to love your previous selves. And one of the things that I think that I kind of really enjoy about the job that I do now is I love saying to people, you won't believe what I did when I was a practitioner. I love telling my own horror stories because I'm like, that was, you know, that, that was... The intent was always good, but Jesus did a fuck up quite a lot when I was a practitioner. Um, and, and yesterday it really stuck with me because I was like, yes. And then you were talking earlier on when we were having a private conversation about um, we we exist in this world, don't we? That I'll be better if I just do this or if I just get to this point. Um, I know you mentioned about, you know, people get obsessed with weight loss, don't they? But just lose five pounds as though that's going to make them a better person than who they are now. It's all very yeah absolutely how many of us have spent our life on pause saying when I've lost 10 pounds or when I've got this job or when I've reached this point when I'm married when I've got children when I finish my qualification whatever it you know whatever it is that it might be we spend so much of our life on pause waiting to love ourselves when we've achieved whatever we we've set out to achieve and sometimes they might even be you know unobtainable goals in our minds um you know like some kind of perfectionism or idealism if we're talking about weight as an example and i know i've certainly been guilty of that throughout my lifetime but actually 
like you said, it's, it's a really sad moment when you realize you spend a lot of your time, a lot of your life, not really liking yourself very much because you're constantly waiting to get to that point. So then to look back and be like, oh, I didn't like myself then because I was this. I didn't like myself because of this. So learning to kind of love and, and accept yourself and knowing you still, still bring value, you're still, you've still got something to say, um, is I think I suppose in some ways it's getting this is so deep but it's kind of what this whole podcast is about is that safe space conversations to be like you know what the world is imperfect it you know we are showing up exactly as we are and we want to raise children to be able to show up and be like this is how I am and be able to talk it through you know because genuinely if we're talking about a world with emotionally intelligent and literate children they need to have those spaces where they can show up and not be okay um and i think especially at the moment you know we've talked about you know this world that we find ourselves in because of covid but not one person on this planet um will not have been affected by this situation and everyone will have been affected in different ways and so when you look back on where you think you were going to be or where you are when you say that upwards trajectory we've all bounced back haven't we because a lot of us are living in that emotional state in our brain. Like we've talked a lot about my executive function. It's just not, it's just not working at the moment. I've got less capacity to deal with anything that I haven't planned for. And that sends me into a wobble of fight, flight or freeze or flop mode. <laughs> that is such a good one. Flop mode is, I think that we, uh, we definitely need to add that to the executive function and um, failures of flop. Cause I have been exactly the same. Like I will literally wake up in the morning and I'll be like, this is the day that I'm going to be the best version of myself in lockdown. And then I immediately find myself in flop mode of, I just can't. And I said to me husband the other day, cause he's, he's, he did really well in lockdown and then went into a really dark period of struggle and he was like it, there's nothing worse when you're just trying to get to the end of a day um, and he said like there's there's all these pressures around there's these pressures around us to find ourselves during the pandemic and and I will look back at this lockdown and go I, I learned stuff but it wasn't an enjoy I'm not going to sit here and say it was an enjoyable experience it bloody well wasn't it's it's me life has been you know completely manifested into something new um, and and not necessarily good and I think when you when you exist in a world where you have to always be working to be in a better place that's a horrible thing to have to then it's, it's another beast of burden to carry isn't it but what you said there about being in a safe space um i think you linked a, a group to me the other week and you were like oh look at the rules of this group and it was we're not just a safe space we're a brave space and it's really like stuck with me over the last few weeks because of like it's not just about turning up, it's turning up and, and being brave enough to be, to be weak, to be vulnerable, to be erratic, to be confused, to be angry, to be rageful, like, and to the safe space is the people that are within that space acknowledge that you are entitled to, the, to those feelings and those emotions. And I think that that's something that I have learned in lockdown is that I think I've come become a little bit braver with going, I'm really struggling here. This is really, really difficult. Um, and, you know, some days I wake up and I want to just go back to bed. I want to flop because I just can't, I, I can't handle the situation. And I think 
what we've seen within our sector as well during lockdown and i know we've had this conversation before i think every sector has experienced this but we've seen like the ugly sides of people and i think the important thing is it's okay that we've seen that because this is hard so if you yourself are beating yourself up and thinking that you're not doing lockdown right or you're not doing early education right or you're not you, you don't know where you belong know that you kind of are not on your on your lonesome we're all kind of a bit confused and flopping Oppages everywhere. That's it. But, you know, going back to what Brené tells us about shame is that it's egocentric. It's self-involved. So mm. if you are always trying to show up and be perfect or looking out there and, and seeing what other people are doing, especially during lockdown and comparing it to, your, it, it to what, what you're doing, then what will happen is those feelings of kind of shame only judge ourselves. They then focus you know completely inward so when I was you know getting jealous because it wasn't it wasn't envy it was jealousy of what other people were doing and I was feeling you know sad about what I wasn't doing and what I haven't done during this time I was letting that shame override you know my my natural empathy and and she she says how like shame and empathy are incompatible but you know empathy is the foundation of love the foundation of empathy is love and justice i just love that whole thought of you know when you think of those feelings of shame however they show up in your body for me it's, it's all that trigger of not being good enough not being clever enough those feelings of imposter syndrome feeling insecure and they feel horrible when they show up in my body like you know physically it feels like stress anxiety like panic you know you can't breathe that pain in your chest like a hot flush almost of emotion you know and actually why am I letting that stay in my body why am I letting that occupy my mind and and so it's going back to that old faithful of not believing everything I think you know checking in with myself and blooming hell it's exhausting I'm exhausted from it so that's why some days I need to flop that's why some days I need to watch you know, the challenge on MTV or Real Housewives or whatever, you know, mind-numbing, married-at-first-sight Australia rubbish that I need to watch to just switch off and let my brain just calm down. And I think that comes back to, I've been reading a really good book by, and you'd love it, I think, actually. It's by Pandora Sykes, I think she's called. And the book is called, Am I Doing It Right? And it is a guide for millennial women, I, I suppose. Um, and it's unpicking the, the, it's unpicking the wellness industry actually, but in a really good way. So what she's essentially saying is that wellness and well-being in itself has become another pressure. Am I doing well-being right? Um, so, you know, where you've said there about um, flopping on the couch and watching MTV or the, the Real Housewives, some people feel the pressure of oh yeah but that's not that's not a good wellness choice but actually it bloody well is sitting and completely just letting go of everything and being really mind numbing for a little bit is is an enjoyable form of wellness and if it works for you and I think we we do sometimes have this situation of particularly the kind of millennial world that we live in but that we even have to be doing our mental health right but we don't it can be messy it can be it can work some days and not work other days and i think that that's what we need to acknowledge is that when we because i sometimes i do get a little bit oh well-being or you know self-care for a long time i wouldn't use the word self-care because i was like i hate it it puts too much pressure on people it's a very kind of um 
it's a very kind of elitist term because not everybody can engage in self-care but actually it's about and I think I've talked about this before your own self-care blueprint or your own well-being blueprint will be very different to the person next to you and you've got to choose what works for you and if that it involves you know my one is watching Scandal um, which is bloody well brilliant I love it um, or watching like I love watching really really terrible Netflix shows as well. Um, and sometimes people will be like, oh, I didn't think you would watch something like that. And it's like, why? Like, because I have to always appear to be intelligent and reading books, no? I bloody love Married at First Sight as well, Love is Blind. Um, I love that crap because it, it does give your brain a rest from, um, from the pressures of everyday society. But the, coming back to imposter syndrome there's a couple of things that i want to i know we are we good on time yeah once because there's a couple of things i wanted to come back to um and I'm, I'm on my phone at the moment because i've got some screenshots because quite a lot of people messaged about my story that i did on instagram about insecurity and i'm trying to find the the answers or the questions that people had but it might be good to just address a couple of those towards the end um right but the when you're talking in a minute, I'll try and find it. But yeah, with imposter syndrome, I, I, I wanted to kind of focus on it a little bit because I feel like imposter syndrome in, in society at the moment, it's something that everyone talks about. I find that people talk about it as though it's a bad thing. And I don't think imposter syndrome is bad at all. I think it's something that's actually really healthy for us to experience. And so I started to look around a little bit about why is why are we all talking about imposter syndrome? Why are we seeing it as bad? I found this really, really good article. And I'm not sure who it was by, but we can link it um, when we release the episode. But it was talking about um, imposter syndrome is viewed as a negative experience because it does it does ignite fear, insecurity, anxiety, conflict, jealousy, rage. But actually, um, there is a flip side to that experience, and that is is that it is actually healthy for us to stop and go: Am I in the right place? Do I belong here? Do I feel motivated by this space? Is this at the level or the pitch that I want to be working at? Are my desires and goals rooted in this thing that I've chosen to do? And what I've found this week in particular, because I, I've i gone through a bit of a, a weird week this week where I kind of was like, I don't feel like I belong anywhere. I feel like an imposter. I don't feel like I'm in any clubs. I don't feel like I'm in the right, right space. And then when I actually sat and reflected on that experience of imposter syndrome, really reflected I was happened to be listening to a podcast at the same time, um, an oral history of The Office, which is one of my favorite shows. And one of the things they said in the podcast is the problem with people is they're often halfway up a ladder they don't want to be on, rather at the bottom of a ladder they actually want to climb. And you know, when your brain just goes, that is that is my problem in life. I'm climbing ladders, I don't want to climb. I'm climbing a ladder going, please let me join your club. And then going, I don't even want to be in your club. I don't, I'm not even motivated by anything that you're doing. I don't want to do that piece of work or I don't want to write that webinar or I don't want to do that. And I had this moment this week where I was like, I actually am working towards goals for external validation rather than internal. And so when I was reading this article, it said around imposter syndrome that the reason it's good for us is it allows us to have those reflection points and it allows us to ask questions of, am I in the right space? And am I being real? Am I being my authentic self? Because often when imposter syndrome comes up, it comes up because it's asking us, 
are we being our organic selves or have, are we having to change who we are to fit in? And if you're having to change, is that really a good thing? Um, it leads us to ask questions about our motivations and our, our passions. Um, it is a learning process. It leads to more self-awareness. And we've all been in the presence of people who, who should be having imposter syndrome, but don't. We, you know, we see a lot of egos in our sector. Um, and the biggest thing is it's a curiosity process. It, it brings curiosity. And I loved that. What did you think of that? Uh, well, I, I absolutely loved it. And like when you were talking, when we talked, we started when you were talking about unwilding i'd not heard you know i think it just it just brings another dimension to it i suppose because when you think of imposter syndrome you always think of it as actually something negative but i suppose one of the things i've talked about is you know when you are doing things out of your comfort zone or you've stepped a little bit out of your comfort zone um and you're doing that a lot then of course it feels uncomfortable and you, it feels uncomfortable in all sorts of different ways. So when you're constantly operating outside of your comfort zone, sometimes your body just wants to stop you, to, to you know, just to take a rest. It is that whole fight, flight or freeze mode. Mm. Um, whereas actually, we also know that when we've done that big scary thing, we've operated outside of our comfort zone, it feels really, really good. Mm. Sometimes those self-limiting beliefs we have they're just not true. And so it is almost, it's, I don't know, I thought it was really interesting to kind of unpick it in that way. And again, it just shows how, how good we are at labeling ourselves and our thoughts and our actions in negative ways, rather than reflecting on something that could be really positive and effective for change. Yeah, and, and the, the key word there is the self-limiting, because I think sometimes we use those things as an excuse, like, oh, I've got imposter syndrome, so I'm not going to do anything. Like it, I'm not going to move in any direction when actually if you if you go well it's there but let me be curious about why it's there and I've said that about jealousy before I'm a jealous human I get jealous so rage filled jealousy when people get opportunities that I believe I deserve um and then like my husband was having a chat with me about it and he was like is it rooted in that they, they're just highlight, highlighting your desires so rather than being jealous of people or rather than getting angry go okay I'm jealous of that do I is it because I've got some desire within that um, and sometimes it turns out not so um, I think again that's another good journey to go on um, I don't know are you a jealous person no, I said that before. No, I think I've explored the difference between, you know, envy and jealousy. And and I think, you know, in the, we've already said about social media, you know, depending on what's going on, sometimes I can be a comparing Caroline. I can be look, I can look at and see people and, you know, I talked about that, you know, quite early on in lockdown. We were seeing, you know, some some settings, you know, build fairy gardens with thousands of lights and magical flying fairies some writing policies 793 pages long other people you know building mud kitchens from bark and random things you know but the point was that it was put out there on social media and those people that were just like maybe just you know getting through each day were looking at what was going on and thinking oh gosh I'm failing here I'm not good enough I'm this I'm that and actually it's it's about sometimes I think as a sector we create a necessary pressure for ourselves because it's going back to what we are about what is my intention 
we can all get distracted by you know a wonderful image on pinterest or instagram but actually what 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 are my priorities and my focus either personally or professionally so how does this fair regard and relate to what's going on in my setting at the moment if i've actually got 27 boys who are only interested in climbing and building with the blocks why would that you know it might look nice to me but why is that something you know and, and I, you know but then i suppose i also think as it's so our sector so heavy there's so much pressure it's been a really and really unprecedented and difficult time so we want to find moments of joy and things that bring us pleasure and spark some kind of you know fascination in ourselves as practitioners as well because otherwise you know it, it's hard <laughs> yeah I think that's a really good point and coming back to because you touched upon uh, kind of the aesthetics there, I suppose. But um, Emma D, who um, she writes for a lot of um, a lot of earliest publications, she's a nursery manager, and she said that that she feels as a nursery manager that she has to kind of really be mindful that she doesn't fall under the pressure of of what we see out in early practice. And she always talks about toadstools. She was like, why is every set now got a toadstool in it? Why are they obsessed with toadstools and tough trays? And, and what she was trying to get at is that, you know, we're so driven and pressured by the visual aspect of, of early education and, and early years practice. But sometimes it's, it comes back to what you've just said there, if we can honestly say it ignited a passion for us and the children and there was some magic within it, it doesn't look, it doesn't matter how messy it looks. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, I think what we need to see more of basically in the social media world around early years practice is the, the mess, the chaos, because, you know, it's not that long ago that I was a practitioner. Every day was chaotic. The children are messy and they are um, imperfect. They are, they are a, a great blueprint for how we should be as adults. Um, and I think that we should start celebrating all the things, not just the things that look good. Um, and, you know, coming back to, again, I don't know if I've gone off on a tangent, but it's in my mind now. We, we were having a conversation around... Um, we were having a conversation around uh, what were we talking about? Oh, my brain's on that thing again, Kate. I was saying to Kate that I keep having this thing where I'm talking and then it just goes. I forgot what I was going to say. That, that happens to me all the time, but I, that's good for me because I had something to say there and I was just going to um, talk about um, Sally Wright from the art groups and uh, Topanga Smith from Roosevelt Childcare. And they talk about, and they openly, they post Sally will, people may know Sally for her tough trays and her book on tough trays. And if you follow Topanga Smith, you'll have seen her work with Roosevelt and her, you know, amazing environments. But not only do they post the before pictures, um, they post the after pictures the play residue the pockets of play um mm -hmm. these environments have almost been battered uh, by the children because they've absolutely enjoyed them but they talk about the balance as well there's a balance for everything and um, you know and when we're talking about sisterhood that we started out at the start of this conversation there's a there's a place for everything and everyone we all have something to say um and you know I don't know. I don't know if that was giving you space to remember what it is you wanted. <laughs> you were going to yeah. say. 
So um, we, I think we need to rename this episode, Kerry and Kate go off on a tangent. I'll do this last story and then I, yeah, we will kind of draw it to a close. And I don't know if we can do an after podcast with some of the questions that came up, but hey ho. Um, but first of all, I love play residue. That is such a brilliant term. The play residue, the aftermath. Um, but yeah, I think another thing with social media and with this, you know, we're seeing these designs of, which are beautiful, but we see lots of these different kinds of curriculum approaches. And what I've found is there was a period within when I was in local authority that I would walk into a setting and if it didn't fall into an aesthetic that I'd seen, you know, in the books, in the activity books or on social media, I would almost be like, mm, you know, that display, it's very colourful, isn't it? It might be a little bit overwhelming for the children. And, and, you know, you really need to make sure that your environment is enabling and it's it's language rich and it's communication friendly. Um, and I became a little bit fixated on the visuals of those environments. And then I went into this set one day, which I can only describe as... Um, I don't know if um, anyone knows Charlie Chalks, but like Wacky Weird House, it was very colourful, very bright. There was lots of plastic resources, you know, all the things that we judge and criticise. And I kind of stopped myself because the thing that stood out more than anything, and it made all of that kind of just fall into the background, is I saw the strongest strongest relationships between adults and children i saw children that were safe that were involved engaged and um, there was such a beautiful relationship between the key people and the children that a colorful display or plastic resources or commercial resources which have their own problems but i was like it would be so inappropriate to talk about the design of your environment when we are seeing in action the highest quality, the best resource, resource, which is the adult. And I think that kind of really brings us, it summarizes this podcast because what we're often exploring when we talk about insecurity, imposter, comfort zones, um, all the things that we kind of criticize ourselves, the thing that we often move away from is that what you are to a child and what you do in your everyday practice is your value and it is your worth and what we need to see is practitioners showing their vulnerabilities but also recognizing the strengths in what they do every day we walk into early years settings every day often with very limited training with very sketchy qualifications and assortment of qualifications but we're shit hot at what we do we're good with our children so if you've got a colorful display or you know kind of loads of plastic resources or you're in an environment or a building that isn't necessarily purpose-built yes those things may need to be addressed but focus on your internal qualities and how they benefit your children and and that's how we combat some of those insecurities that seeing that there is value and worth within ourselves absolutely finish that beautifully oh thank you Oh, we, we have I, I just always think it's so interesting because we kind of have loose ideas and then we you know start talking who knows where it might go but I think that's I hope that's been an interesting and useful podcast episode for people yes hopefully um leave your feedback on our itunes because we need feedback so that we get thousands upon thousands of listeners um tag us on instagram if you've listened share your own thoughts and opinions and it's okay if they differ from ours because we don't all think the same um and yeah just just 
just be you don't have to be anything in particular just be because that's all we can do at the moment i think you know if lockdown does teach us anything it's that we've just got to we've got to lean in we've got to lean into what the day brings um and don't always be setting yourself unobtainable or big targets because sometimes the desperate housewives of cheshire is all you need in your life Oh, you froze there at the end. I don't know if that froze for everybody else. <laughs> it was a reflection moment. We intentionally built it in. Just a slight pause. But yeah, lean into us. So if you've got thoughts, feelings, ideas that you want to share or even feature on the podcast, then we would really, really love to hear from you. Yes. Have a froze again. <laughs>